Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Hump Day. And it is the day after the big elections here in the state of Mississippi. Fantastic coverage by our Super Talk team, and if you want to see. All the latest results, just log in to Supertalk Mississippi Media. Supertalk.fm is the URL for the website. We got all the live results right there, Rhino. And, of course, top of the ticket, Governor. Governor Tate Reeves, the election has been called for him, was last evening at 1129 by the Associated Press, currently... The standings in the race with 95% of the votes counted. Governor Reeves has received 406,247 votes. That equals 51.8% of those cast. Democratic challenger Brandon Presley, Public Service Commissioner for the Northern District, he's received 367,562 votes, amounting to 46.9%. And then Gwendolyn Gray, we'd have to say, Rhino, that's the surprise, honestly. Miss Gray, of course, withdrew from the election, is an independent, appeared on the ballot, due to the timing of the withdrawal vis-a-vis when the ballots were prepared and distributed. So she got a surprising 10,713 votes. She got a higher percentage than two independents that ran last time. That's correct, 1.4%. Now I think they came in at 1.3. You and I discussed this yesterday. I had her at 8,000. You thought 1,000. Yeah, I didn't think there were going to be a whole lot. We're both wrong. She got 10,713. Which it looks like that threw off our prediction for Brandon Presley more than it did for Governor Reeves getting reelected because you predicted 51%. I predicted just a hair over 52, so let's say 52.2%. Yeah. So if we're playing by prices right rules, you win. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> but I'd like to point out I was still closer. <laughs> Well, um, you know, I did not account 
for what appears to be more votes that would have otherwise been cast, I believe, for Mr. Presley going to the independent, Gwendolyn Gray. Is that kind of the way you read it? Yeah, it feels like it was more protest votes than supporter votes, but then again, there's no real way to tell. And she got the big chunk of her votes from a... Well, never mind, they changed it. Okay. They've updated it. Okay. As of last night, the election results for Marshall County showed Gwendolyn Gray getting over 3,000 votes. Oh, yeah, that's in been that changed. In that one county. I'm looking at that's it. That's now right. been changed. That's so been they updated. updated it. Yep, sure. Um, that sounded a little little surreal, I guess. And it, it turns out maybe there was just a, an entry error that was changed. It, it sort of looks like, just kind of scanning the county map, that her take was was much in that range in every county as it is overall in the state. It's in that sort of 1 to 1.5 percent. In Hines County, where Mr. Presley performed very well, receiving 79 percent of the votes, she only got 0.8 percent. A little surprised at that. In some of the counties where uh, the governor performed quite well, such as the three coastal counties, 76 uh, percent in Hancock, 71, pardon me, 76 in Pearl River County, which is uh, just north of Hancock, and then right in the center of the coast, Harrison County, Governor Reeves received 57.9 percent. And looking at Miss Gray, 1.4, 1.4, 1.4, 1.5, fairly consistent. In Jackson County, we had Senator Jeremy England on the program yesterday. He, of course, represents Jackson County. We discussed this with him. The governor receives a 62%. Mr. Presley, 36.5. Once again, Miss Gray, 1.4. Fairly consistent. Now, Something else, Rhino, that surprised me as much, if not more than anything, about the night, focused again on the governor's race, was the way the governor performed in Mr. Presley's home district. I did not expect to see it be so lopsided. And I'll share those with you folks. Pondotoc County, the governor received a 70.9%. In Lee County, your home of Tupelo, 55.9%. In neighboring to the east, Itawamba County, 75.2%. Going to the north, right up there in the corner, Tishomingo County, 73%. Alcorn County, that would be the county that serves as the home to Corinth, depending on who you talk to, how you pronounce that, right? <laughs> 60, uh, 72, pardon me, 72% is what the governor received in Alcorn County. And then to the uh, just to the, the west, Tippa County, 70%. Union County, 72%. Prentice County, 66%. So, and the reason I say that is because I think I can say that it was more than anecdotal that the reports we heard from folks who live in that district that said, hey, Commissioner Presley has been a good utility regulator for our district. He's a likable person. He's visible in the district. It's his home. I just thought he'd perform better. But I think the folks saw that there's a clear distinction in policy positions 
and they opted to cast their ballot with the governor. And you cannot underestimate the, um, the effectiveness of attaching Mr. Presley to the National Democrats. He, I think he did as best as he could to try to distance himself. He didn't say really a lot, if you think about it. He didn't say a lot about Joe Biden or the National Democrats, and hardly at all. He focused on Mississippi. I'm sure his, his, his handlers and his consultants told him to do so. But the governor, of course, very effectively linked him to the National Democrats. And all you have to do is look at the polls nationally to see that they're not doing too good. Uh, certainly Joe Biden is not doing well. Uh, in polls, recent polls, showing that Donald Trump, in a presumptive matchup, wins these swing, the six swing states. should say five of the six. Uh, remember, it was Wisconsin, I believe, right, was the lone state, as I recall, of the six swing states where uh, President Biden uh, eclipses presumptive Republican candidate, former President Donald Trump. But five or six, you know what that equals, don't you? What they call a landslide in the electoral votes. You win the traditional red states plus the swing states, that equals landslide. So the Democrats are panicking about that. However, I think it's fair to say that the Democrats got a bit of good news on the national scene Uh, specifically in Virginia and in Ohio, was something we shared with the audience over the last few days, that key races in those states, ballot measures specifically in Ohio, in Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who ascended to the governor's mansion a couple of years ago, kind of surprised everybody, honestly. It's a deep blue state. And I think it's uh, his running on the novel concept that parents ought to have a say in the education of their children. He's got two giant, affluent, liberal school districts in Virginia, Fairfax and Loudoun County. Seems to be everything crazy you hear going on in K-12 schools. That's like the epicenter of it. And even Democrats were going to school board meetings and, and complaining about that. And that, I think, swept Governor Yunkin, who just campaigned with a common-sense message about that. Nonetheless, he was also campaigning on the idea of restricting abortion to 15 weeks. It's currently essentially unlimited in Virginia. And he said, look, you give me a House and a Senate, and we'll get that done. Unfortunately, Republicans lost rather roundly on that. We're going to take a break right here. We're in the Element Well studio. A lot of politics and political races to discuss. It's Caleb Saylor's next multimedia journalist with Supertalk Mississippi News. we got Rodney Hall, newly elected House rep in Mississippi from uh, up there in North Mississippi, DeSoto County. He comes on at 1035. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. 
<laughs> Who are we listening to there? That's from the All Hit Request line. That's Alice Cooper's Electric. <laughs> Is that by Caleb? He requests that? It was I, on the ceasefire text. Oh, okay. Line. I missed it. Hadn't, hadn't been on there yet. But, I didn't but request we, it, but I love we, Alice Cooper, though. <laughs> we welcome Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. What's going on there? I well, didn't know if we were going to get the Chiron or I not. I know it's Wednesday, so maybe we're skipping that. <laughs> I heard it a little more yesterday than normal being here until after midnight last night, so I was prepared. My, my PTSD kicked in from the Chiron, but... What's going on, Gerard? I don't know, man. A little bit from yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was a pretty big day, wasn't it? Just a couple things that went on in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Well, we had the general election yesterday, and I hope for all of our listening audience and viewing audience right now, I hope you all were tuned in to supertalk.fm last night or listening to your radio dial with our station statewide. And um, we it, we were clicking on all cylinders last night. Gerard, you know, Richard Cross did a great job with the coverage and the guests we had on. It was just – and then you had – JT and Alyssa working on the editorial and online side. I was kind of voicing the newscast last night, and you know we were just really a well-oiled machine. And then you know you had the actual elections themselves. You know, not not really any surprises last night on the statewide level. Uh, Governor Tate Reeves held on and uh, defeated Brandon Presley. Some would say that you know he won by a greater margin than expected, and some would argue that it was closer than they expected, depending on who you ask, which pollsters you talk to, and then. Down the ticket, though, statewide, I mean, there, none of the races were close. Delbert Hoseman won by a landslide. Lynn Fitch was reelected as attorney general by a landslide. Michael Watson, Shad White, David McRae, Andy Gibson, Mike Cheney, all of them reelected by a landslide. So nothing new. Yeah. And really the only race that's being challenged right now and has a lot of implications is uh, Central District Public Service Commissioner right now. Uh, as things stand, we've got... 94% of the votes, or 95% of the votes in, and DeKeither Stamps is starting to pull away a little bit more. He's got close to a 3,000-vote lead over Brent Bailey as... The incumbent. Yeah, the incumbent, yep. as absentee ballots come in. And one of the things about this election, too, though, is if Stamps ends up winning, you'll have all three new faces in the Public Service Commission, mm -hmm. with Chris Brown being in the Northern District now replacing Brandon Presley, and then uh, Nelson Wayne Carr in the Southern District, who ousted Dane Maxwell in the primaries. And so if, if Stamps is to win, we will have all three new uh, Public Service Commissioners in Mississippi, which will be very interesting, yes. you know, change in leadership. Yeah. And there were a couple other uh, close races last night, or um, more contested races on a local level. You had in Jones County the sheriff's race, which I've talked to our uh, friends down at our Laurel Station plenty, and I've covered some of the events down there. And this sheriff's race was hotly contested with hmm. incumbent Joe Berlin and former sheriff Alex Hodge. So two cycles ago... Hodge, or one cycle ago, Hodge and Berlin were neck and neck with each other. Some of the people of Jones County kind of gotten fed up with Hodge and the way he had kind of lost touch with the people, and Berlin beat him. Well, down the stretch, though, towards the end of the tenure, or the first term, Berlin's first term, a lot of people were expressing some you know disinterest with him and how he's ran his, you know, how he's been a sheriff. And so Alex Hodge was like, look, I want to get back and do this. I miss being sheriff. I miss, you know, representing the people of Jones County. I'm going to throw my hat back in the ring. And he did, and he did not win. Berlin ended up winning a second term. Ironically, though, this is one of the races where uh, the where Berlin won by a plurality. Nobody got anywhere near 50% of the vote. 
Berlin got 33%. Alex Hodge got 31%. The Republican Macon Davis got 24%. And then Kenny Rogers, not the singer, got 12% of the vote. So, But Joe Berlin has been reelected with a 33% vote margin. Um, and then we had another race here in Jackson on a local level. You and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, Shonda Yates you know, had a late push in her in her campaign, she was being challenged by Emil Wilson, a Republican who, you know, championed himself as like, I'm the conservative solution for this city or for this area in House District 64. And he campaigned very hard. I mean, I live here in Jackson and I would see his ads, I would see his billboards everywhere. Well, Shonda made a, you know, Representative Yates made a late push down the stretch and got some very big endorsements from some uh, former city councilmen, from uh, Sheriff Tyree Jones, and continued to push. And she ended up just bludgeoning yeah. Emil Wilson. I mean, she won. She got 62% of the vote to his 38%, which was interesting because I kind of expected that one to be a little closer than it was, but the people in the area decided, you know, Shawnee Yates has been a, a good representative, and she's represented the city of Jackson and the area well, and that's what the people decided yesterday. Interesting, and and she is an independent now, right? Yes. She converted. Mm-hmm. Former Democrat, now independent. Independent, so interesting. But it's tough. It's a tough district. For a Republican. Oh, absolutely. Right. And my understanding is, just kind of taking a look at her voting history and talking to other members of the House, she's somewhat fiscally moderate, Mm -hmm. um, or conservative, pardon me, but more socially (laughs) moderate. And she was uh, instrumental in, did support the Capitol Complex Improvement District. Yes. And And I think she won a lot of favor of members of the House in that respect. Absolutely. And the expansion of Capitol Police, too, and redistricting (laughs) in Jackson. She's done a lot. And, and and I've talked to a lot of people. I mean, I live in Jackson. I've talked to a lot of people in Jackson, a lot of voters, and a lot of people are very pleased with what she's done here in the capital city of Mississippi. And so Emil's push didn't really work, and so Shawnee Yates has been reelected. Yeah, interesting. So any idea why it, it, here we are at uh, essentially 1030, the day after the election, we only have 96% of the votes counted. Is that is it your understanding, looking at the governor's race at the top mm-hmm. of the ticket there, is it your understanding that that's just due to uh, lagging absentee ballots? Or are there still precincts out? seems like Holmes County is always kind of late to getting their stuff in. I haven't looked, you know, county by county level, but just curious as to why we still have 4% of the and, votes out. And for our listening audience, if you want to look at a county-by-county county map, go to supertalk.fm. On the governor's race, we do have a county-by-county county map showing you who where everything has been reported. Right now, I'm looking at Holmes County. It's 93% of votes counted. So there you go. There's a little lag there. In Hines County, we've got 95% of votes counted. Rankin County, only 90% of votes counted. So there's a little lag. I guess it could be due to absentee or late votes. I, I'm not sure there, but... They did only 96% reporting, and in that race with Brent Bailey and to keep their stamps, only 95% reporting. So that's a central district of Mississippi deal. So we'll see as the numbers continue to come in. We'll keep you updated at supertalk.fm. Did you happen to hear Mr. Presley's speech last night at, at his uh, campaign? I caught the very beginning of it. I was actually recording a newscast, keeping our, letting our listening audience know that Tate Reeves had been reelected, so I didn't get to hear all of it. Yeah, I was just curious. I was actually making the rounds at uh, the various events last mm-hmm. night, so I, I didn't see it. But I did see it projected on the screen when I was at the governor's event. Mm-hmm. 
in in Flowood here. Just curious as to what his message was. I mean, he was he definitely he congratulated Tate Reeves on winning, and he you know thanked the people of Mississippi for going out and voting for him. But he vowed that Medicaid will be expanded in Mississippi at some point or another, mm-hmm. and so he he harped on that again mm-hmm. last night. But you know mm-hmm. okay. that's what he, that's that was his kind of I guess what, that was central thing. Yeah, no doubt. And he ran on that. He championed that. He platformed on that. So I mean, I guess he was going to go out to the bitter end swinging on that. And understandably so. I mean, he campaigned, uh, Brandon Presley campaigned very hard, had a strong grassroots movement, had a lot of crossover appeal. I mean, you look at the ticket, you see where, you know, below the governor, where lieutenant governor, attorney general, et cetera, just dominated their opponents. Tate Reeves didn't get those same margins as the others did. And so Brandon Presley did get some crossover appeal or crossover votes in this election cycle. It just wasn't enough to send him over the top. That's true, but I think we'd also have to recognize that he spent $13 million bucks on his campaign, and these other candidates down the ticket, lieutenant governor or attorney general, et cetera, didn't have nearly that kind of no. money. It didn't fill up the all the all the media with uh, ads, and that's what Robert Bradford, who lost to Andy Gibson last night for agriculture commissioner, he was kind of telling me he's like, well, I hope the enthusiasm at the top of the ticket kind of has a trickle down effect too, where people just kind of vote Democrat straight down the ticket. He was like, you know, there's a lot of excitement in the gubernatorial race, and so hopefully I benefit from that too. And he, it was kind of it was neat talking to him and him being that honest with me about that. Like he didn't have the money that Brandon Presley had; none of them did. Yeah, and so. They were kind of just hoping that that would benefit them in the long run last night. And it's, uh, I mean, you look at the numbers, most of his money came from out of state. Uh, the Democratic Governors Association, how much do they dump in the deal, Rhino? Like four million bucks or something, I think, last I looked. Uh, and, and obviously, they had done some work. They had done some polls and thought, hey, this thing's winnable. And, and I talked. Otherwise, they wouldn't have dumped that kind of money in it. And I talked to Commissioner Presley yesterday too, uh, part of our news coverage. And he told me he's like, "Look, we've done everything we could to get to the pathway of victory, and I think this is our best path to victory." So he was very honest about that. I mean, he thought he was going to win yesterday, and I mean, and the numbers show he wasn't super far off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, closer than the election in nineteen, right? Absolutely. With, with uh, Mr. Hood. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I thought he ran a really a good campaign, but at the end of the day, uh, he's a Democrat in a deep red state, and that's just a tough situation to overcome. And it's hard to oust someone who's run on tax cuts and teacher pay rate. I mean, Tate Reeves had the he kind of had the uh, resume to he run did. on, and he ran on it. He did, and I it's, he should. I mean, that's uh, what he's offering. Hey, more of that continuation improvement on that. Appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks for coming in. Well, thanks, Gerard. Thank you for having me. Great coverage uh, by the, the uh, Super Talk Mississippi News team as well. Thank and the you. numbers will keep flowing in. SuperTalk.fm. Y'all keep tuning into us. Coming right back with newly elected Representative Rodney Hall. Stay with us. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays, and we are live in the Element Well studio. It's day after Election Day here in the great state of Mississippi. We welcome to the Element Well studio 
online calling in with us. Got video going as well. Rodney Hall, winner in newly elected Mississippi House District 20 representatives. Representative Hall, good to see you, sir, and uh, enjoyed visiting with you hey, good morning, yesterday. Bob. Good to see you. Yeah. Absolutely. It's great to be with you. It's yeah. a great day for Mississippi. No doubt about it. So, you got to be excited. A couple of months, you'll be down there at the Capitol. Can you believe it? Less than 60 days. <laughs> Time to get to work. I'm super excited. <laughs> well, we're excited to uh, see you get sworn in and take your place as the representative of District 20 in our great state. Now, what all counties does that incorporate, Representative Hall? So, Gerard, District 20 is a brand-new house seat that's up here in DeSoto County, and it has a piece of South Haven and a piece of Olive Branch. Okay. And, of course, with the population growth that we've had, uh, it's, a, it's a very small district when you talk about geography, but it, it packs a very large punch. Yeah. Well, I knew it was DeSoto County. I wasn't sure if there were any other counties included in the, in the district as well. And, and as, as you rightly point out, that is part of the redistricting process. It was spawned from that. Uh, what did you think about the races yesterday? Now, like I said, I saw you uh, out and about uh, following the uh, the parties and the watch parties, and we had a good time. Great turnout by Mississippians who have a strong interest in in uh, politics in our state, public policies. Good to see. What did you think? Yeah, you know, Gerard, I give a lot of credit to uh, conservatives all across the state. When you look at uh, where we came from, specifically in the primary, and then uh, leading up to the general election. I can't speak for all the counties, but I can talk about DeSoto County uh, very dearly. Uh, leadership all at all levels uh, were out there every single weekend, despite the weather, despite the time, uh, despite any kind of opposition. And they were out on the ground game, knocking on doors for candidates up and down the ticket. And, you know, I think that stuff matters. I mean, you, you see that we had the uh, a lot of advertising, uh, a lot of TV, uh, candidates were out there everywhere, but when it when it boils down to it, the ground game still is important. Voters want to hear from you, and so when we uh, invest our time and go to their doorstep and talk about our values and talk about our principles and really talk about our future, uh, that resonates. And so I'm I'm super excited. We have a great team here in Desoto County, uh, all up and down the ticket, uh, and I think we're ready to get to work here in January. So I know you've made the rounds and, and have uh, established uh, relationships and, and uh, dialogue already with many members of the House of Representatives. Uh, and, and like we said, we're inside 60 days of getting back down there and, and doing some lawmaking, <laughs> as we say. What, what, what are you uh, going to focus on? What, do you have any particular interest from a, a committee perspective or subject matter area in public policy? What are you thinking? Yeah, you know, Gerard, I'm going to sit down with leadership, of course, and talk uh, with them and see how I can be most useful and effective uh, across the state. But, you know, during this time in the interim, uh, since the primary, I've really made an effort to speak with all the leadership here in DeSoto County uh, so that I can go down in Jackson and be an expert uh, for the issues that affect DeSoto County. And so I've met with uh, leadership at all levels, met with the mayors, uh, still making my rounds with all the board of aldermen. Uh, to see what issues affect affect the Soto County and where we need uh, effective leadership. Of course, transportation is one. Uh, I-55 absolutely has to be widened. Uh, every time I go down, uh, every time I leave my house and head down south, I take a, I say a prayer before I get to Church <laughs> Road uh, because there was an accident there. I mean, yeah. almost every single day. Yeah. Uh, and so 
I, my goal is to be effective for DeSoto County, and so that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, besides uh, the, the transportation roadways, uh, what, what did you hear on the campaign trail from the constituents of DeSoto counties? What did they express to you that they'd like to see get done in Jackson? Yeah, you know, first off, Gerard, in a state like ours, we're a conservative state. We care about our values. We don't want to see that go away. Uh, you saw how much money was pumped into uh, these elections uh, by the Democratic Party. Uh, across the entire nation. I mean, there was money pouring in from California and Washington, D.C. and Texas, and you name it. Uh, we're not a state that's going to be told what to do. Uh, and so our values are absolutely critical to us. And we need to make sure that we maintain those values uh, up and down the, up and down, you know, every part of the counties, all yeah. of the counties. Uh, so that's number one. But then we have some big issues that still need to be addressed. I mean, we've been trending in the right direction uh, for quite some time up under, you know, Governor Tate Reeves and the the leadership in the House and Senate. Uh, but we, we still have issues when it comes to poverty, education, uh, health care. Uh, and so those are the big issues that people are concerned about. Uh, but I think they see uh, not just in the rhetoric, but in the facts. The facts show that conservative values and conservative principles, uh, they work and they're taking our state in the right direction. So we just need to continue to build on that momentum. Yeah, it's a good point. And the governor uh, really conveyed that as well last night in his speech, and as he has been doing on the campaign trail, that these conservative policies have produced positive results across the spectrum in Mississippi. And he's very proud of the progress that's been made in public education, and he talks about the many accomplishments and achievements there and the way Mississippi has been recognized on the national scene, even in the New York Times for accomplishments there in education. He talked about uh, the significant uh, investment in new economic development projects that's occurred uh, during his term and, and, and more uh, in process as well. He's, he's focused on that. And I feel like the legislature, the Republicans of the legislature, feel the same way, and it seems to me that that's uh, going to be their focus. Is that kind of what you're hearing? No, you're absolutely right, Gerard. You know, one good thing about uh, that came out of all these elections and, and the, really the focus on Mississippi uh, is that our story can't be denied. Uh, you know, for so long in the national media, they like to look down on Mississippi and Mississippians and talk about our state in a way that just isn't true. And anybody that lives here and that is from here and that, you know, stays here, understand that uh, Mississippi is a beautiful state with so many great citizens, with so much opportunity. And so our, our story can't be denied anymore. We've seen a lot of progress and success in every single domain. Uh, and so our legislature, we have great leadership coming back. I think we have a great team specifically here in DeSoto County uh, that's going down to Jackson. We have good leadership all up and down uh, at each level of government. And so with us all working together, I think that we can continue to move Mississippi forward. Yeah. Representative Hall, as an African-American Republican conservative, have you received any grief from the Democrats in, in not just falling in line in the Democrat Party? Has that been an issue at all? Yeah, Gerard, you know, they've already been, uh, you know, throwing volley shots and trying to uh, uh, really take off course uh, something that uh, a movement that should be sustained, a, a movement that should be growing. And, you know, one thing that I saw over this last election cycle, uh, all the money was pumped in there because they felt that they had an opportunity to turn this state. And if you look at the numbers and just the numbers, 
uh, yeah, they felt like there was blood in the water. And so they, they dumped a lot of money into races here in Mississippi, uh, thinking that they would get some wins, and they didn't. Uh, but, you know, Gerard, one thing that is very important, if we don't want to find ourselves here again in the next four years, we have to stay engaged. We yeah. have to stay involved. And we have to compete for black votes. And here's the thing. This is not the big tent party. I'm not saying let's change our values and try to, you know, concede or appease to try to get votes. There are black folks all across this state that have the same values, right. the same principles, right. and are conservatives, but for being black. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to go and reach out to them, stay engaged in that community uh, so that we can have their votes uh, next time around. Yeah. It, but they continue to vote primarily uh, Democrat, um, Rodney. And how, how do we get the yeah. message to them that, that, that the Democrat policies, liberal policies, really aren't in their best interests. We've somehow got to overcome that. It's just yeah. been ingrained for so long. Uh, but you're seeing even a, at the national mm-hmm. level, we're seeing polls show that there are lots of black voters that are frustrated with the current situation nationally, and they're peeling off and and uh, pledging their support for the Republican candidates in the next cycle. Yeah. You know, I think Trump did a really good job when you look at his first presidential cycle and his second run. You know, he actually increased in the black vote. And you know, I give a lot of credit to that because he actually went out to that community and engaged in uh, the black community. Yeah, uh, That stuff is important. You know, we can't just sit back and wait to the next election and we can't use just traditional media and think that our message, which is a good message, and I believe in it and it works. Uh, we can't just sit back and, and, and throw it out there in the ether and think that it will be received. Yeah. We have to go to where the voters are. Yeah. Uh, we have to go into their communities. We have to go to their ball games. We have to go to JSU and Alcorn. Yeah. And, and you know, it's not a pulling an arm, but just staying engaged and say, hey, hey, guys, I know you got questions. This is what we believe in. This is the stuff that we're trying to accomplish. And these are the facts. Totally this agree. This is the success that we have had. Uh, so we got to stay engaged. Sounds like a good strategy. Representative Rodney Hall, appreciate you uh, coming on the program. Congratulations. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more. And I, I feel like I'll run into you down at the Capitol in the next session. Looking forward to that. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you, Gerard. Appreciate thank it. You. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Remember the movie, The Titanic? Oh, yeah. Jack Dawson, of course. Leo DiCaprio. Right, the character. His costume is being auctioned off. I'm looking at it on the the TV in here. How about that? Got Hmm. all the clothing he wore there. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot of Hollywood history. Interesting. The Bond tuxedo from No Time to Die. Looking at a photo of that. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Oh, wow. You got some money to buy that? I wonder how expensive it is. 
You'd have to be kind of into that stuff, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'd have to have that Scrooge McDuck kind of money. <laughs> Just swimming in the vault. Yeah. So we've been talking, of course, about the elections in the great state of Mississippi yesterday. Most of the races have been called, still waiting for uh, a nod on the public service commissioner in central Mississippi, presently held by incumbent Brent Bailey. Nikether Stamps, uh, his Democrat opponent, presently leads by a small margin and don't have all the, the votes accounted for yet. And that's why it hasn't been called. It's too close to call, as they say. But um, we uh, shared some news from some of the other states. Again, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who surprisingly won the governor's race in 2021, assumed office 2022 in the deep blue state of Virginia. And that was largely won on the basis of some of the crazy stuff happening in the Virginia school districts. Just, uh, I mean, it's hold my beer sort of woke stuff. However, interestingly enough, liberals have now won a majority in a, a battleground school board district race, Loudoun County Schools. Now they've got a majority. So it, it flipped. Interesting. I, have they forgotten all the crazy stuff that happened there? Really, it was a culture war battleground in 21 that swept in Governor Yunkin and flipped the school board. Now it's flipped back. So they now have a six-seat majority on the nine-seat board. There ain't no telling the kind of stuff we're going to see coming out of Loudoun County. They were somewhat, as you recall, Rhino defiant, even with orders, policy promulgated, adopted by the school board. You know, some of the teachers were saying, well, I just ain't doing that sort of stuff. So I'm a little, I'm disappointed and shocked at the same time. But again, the Democrats did win full control of the state house, and that, of course, derails the governor's plans to to uh, pass legislation that would restrict abortion. That was the key issue. He really campaigned for to the people to send him a Republican-controlled state house so that they could implement such legislation to restrict abortion to 15 weeks, and he, and he lost. I mean, lost rather handily. So now you've got split government. Democrats control both chambers in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, and then the governor is Glenn Youngkin, the Republican. Disappointing to see the outcome there. In the great state of Ohio, you know, we've been talking about this the last few days, a citizen-initiated measure was on the ballot yesterday for the people to decide on, which would enshrine the right to a abortion, an abortion, in the state's constitution. And in fact, it won. Uh, I think it was 59% of voters um, voted to enshrine the right to an abortion in Ohio's Constitution. That won. Another statutory measure, which won, 
not a surprise in my view, recreational marijuana, making Ohio, I believe, the 25th state now. See, the 24th or 25th that has legalized recreational weed. So that one, again, by citizens voting on it, organizing an effort to get a measure on the ballot, and they voted in favor of enshrining the right to an abortion in the Constitution. Now, I know we had lots of grousing about Initiative 65 here in Mississippi, which would have amended the state constitution to allow and create a medical marijuana program, and many people thought, as did I, really doesn't belong in the Constitution. It makes more sense to be enacted in statute. But here in Ohio, they've got abortion in their Constitution, which seems crazy to me. But is that a harbinger of next year's federal races, national races? I think it is, honestly. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News. We also got Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman at 1235. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this hump day. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Don't forget the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. We're going to be doing a remote tomorrow, Rhino. I'm going to be at the two Mississippi museums for their annual Veterans Day ceremony. For more info on how Mississippi is honoring our veterans, go to mdh.ms.gov. And then, let's see, Friday, I'm down at Camp Shelby. Veterans Day, we established yesterday, is on Saturday. Correct. So we'll be... Down there at Camp Shelby with the good folks, the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. If you haven't been, folks, you need to go. It is outstanding. Uh, Such a tribute to the many Mississippians who serve their country in the United States Armed Forces. Always a good time down there because the folks are so good. And it's just an honor, honestly, to be in the presence of uh, so many that serve our country in the military past and present, and I appreciate it. So, yeah, the constitutional right in Ohio, just wanted to make sure I had the numbers right, a constitutional right to, as it was described on the ballot, make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions about abortion, contraception, fertility treatment, miscarriage care, etc., that um, the outcome was 58 for 
voted yes, 42 no. Uh, honestly, that's a landslide in political parlance. Also, Ohio is the 24th state to legalize recreational marijuana. And that, too, was uh, quite strong, 56 to 44 in favor. Now, that's a somewhat interesting, so, isn't it not, Rhino, that the abortion right got more yeses than the recreational marijuana? You surprised at that? Not particularly, because it feels like the abortion debate is a much stronger driver of votes. Yeah. Um, the recreational marijuana conversation might get a little more conversation on social media, but I don't see that as being quite as big a factor in getting out the vote. Okay. You could be right about that. Now, as you point out, there was a bunch of money spent. That's what it takes to organize these citizen ballot measures. Lots of campaigning. I mean, it's like running a political race, essentially. For office, it takes a lot of money to get the word out, to educate people, and um, and just promote Election Day and so forth. I mean, it's it's run just almost totally tantamount to running a, uh, a race for political office. Kentucky, another high-profile race that was in focus, that being the race for governor, where incumbent Democrat Andy Bashir defeated State Attorney General Daniel Cameron, 49.2 to 48.8, fairly close. And I think it goes to show just how almost evenly divided the state is now, uh, excuse me, the country is. Kentucky is a red state. Kentucky has um, Republican representation in the Senate, mostly in the House. Donald Trump carried it. I don't know that the Democrats won the state of Kentucky running for president in quite some time. And and it's, uh, it's legislature is red. But it's kind of odd. You've got a bit like Louisiana, if you think about it. And so he won. Something else we should pay attention to is uh, a Supreme Court race in the Keystone State of Pennsylvania. Daniel McCaffrey defeated Carolyn Carluccio. Um, and this is a candidate that uh, that ran, the Democrat did, on abortion. Ran on abortion rights. Interesting. So... Now you've got control of the court in favor of the Democrats. One of two states, along Wisconsin, to hold state Supreme Court elections in 2023. So I think the point I'm trying to make here is that in the wake of the Dobbs decision, which sent the issue back to the states, I totally believe that was the correct legal thing to do. We can... Uh, you know, aside from the moral aspect of it. Let's just focus on the legal and political aspect. Totally believe the Supreme Court got it wrong in the original Roe decision and got it right in the reversal. And in doing so, it sent the issue back to the states. And so states have been have been uh, scrambling, working rather frantically 
to establish their position on the matter. And in the case of Pennsylvania, they had an election for a Supreme Court justice, and this this person ran a a pro-choice theme and won. In Ohio, they immediately get a ballot measure. And there have been some other states as well which have had ballot measures concerning that particular topic. And in every single instance, the pro-choice position of those measures prevailed over the pro-life. It's just something to think about and take a look at strictly from a political. And I think the Republican Party is looking for uh, some guidance from Donald Trump, because it, it certainly appears right now that he's going to be the nominee, and I think Republicans are seeking for uh, seeking guidance from the person at the top of the party. And what Donald Trump has said is, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said we're going to get something done on abortion at the federal level and everybody's going to be happy. He harshly criticized Governor Ron DeSantis, a presidential opponent, um, on signing legislation that limits abortion to six weeks of gestation. He said that was too harsh, is what Donald Trump said. Seems to be kind of a consensus building around 15 weeks, even Mike Pence, an evangelical Christian as he describes himself. He, in both debates, indicated support. I mean, he stated this, 15-week federal ban is what he wanted. That, that's hardly what I would call a pro-life position. It was a little shocking, honestly. So I think this is something the party is going to have to grapple with just from a political perspective. And the races yesterday are, are very instructive on that matter. And I think they'll have to... Uh, to come to and collaborate and come to some sort of consensus on how the party will handle that matter going forward from a political perspective. Interesting stuff. Uh, We also noted that there are some races in the state, uh, Rhino, that are some seats, some offices, I think is the way we should describe it, that, to see if I can find the information that we were sent earlier, there are some offices that are one with a simple plurality, and others require a majority. Public service commissioner is a plurality. Transportation commissioner, plurality. But all the statewide races, a governor through insurance commissioner, are majority. Supreme Court, Court of Appeals, majority. District Attorney, plurality. State Senate, plurality. State House, plurality. Interesting. Chancery Court Judge, majority. Circuit Court Judge, majority. And that just simply is used to determine whether or not a a runoff would be necessary. If you had more than two candidates, now that's not possible, with uh, two candidates, somebody's going to get more than 50% in that situation. 
We're stepping aside for a break. We got lots of text rolling in on the ceasefire text line. As always, we appreciate the engagement. We'll get to those on the other side of the break. We're live in the Element Well studio. We got Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman on the program at 1235. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Eric Clapton on the guitar there with Cream. I think that's Jack Bruce on the vocals. We're back with you in the Element Well studio. It's the day after Election Day in the great state of Mississippi. We were talking about the ballot measures in Ohio that were approved by voters yesterday. One, to enshrine the right to an abortion in the state's constitution, and the other, legalizing recreational marijuana, making it the 24th state to enact legal weed. Another, on the ceasefire text line, I was just commenting on how I thought it was interesting that the measure approving abortion got more yeses, more positive affirmation, than did the measure legalizing recreational marijuana in Ohio. Someone said another driving force is the fact that it is easier to obtain marijuana illegally than it is to obtain a safe abortion illegally. Therefore, the marijuana is not as pressing of an issue. That's actually a plausible theory. What do you think? I mean, you're talking about a a product that is sold in units of grams and ounces versus a medical procedure. So, yeah, I would say one is a lot easier to come by than the other. Yeah, I think that's right. Paula says, I'm sure the wording on ballots in Ohio was just as confusing as what it was about the Constitution and marijuana here. You know, I, I don't think that's the case, Paul. I, I would agree that to some extent it was confusing, Initiative 65, and then the alternative here in Mississippi, which uh, our law allows the legislature to offer an alternative and place that on the ballot, an alternative to a citizen-initiated initiated measure. But in just reading that wording and that I did a minute ago, I think it's pretty clear, honestly. The other thing is, remember, a bunch of money was spent uh, promoting and campaigning and advertising by both sides. I think the people knew what they were voting for or against, honestly. I think, I think it's fairly clear. 
But I agree, the medical marijuana program in Mississippi, there's so many nuances and rules and regulations um, about that. Honestly, even more so than, than recreational. Because you, you get into all of the, um, the qualifications, the criteria that uh, one needs to, uh, to satisfy in order to receive a certificate and how that would work and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I think legalized marijuana is probably a simpler issue than medical on that basis. Nonetheless, they're the 24th state. Somebody did ask me a minute ago how long I thought until we might see recreational marijuana passed in Mississippi. I I honestly feel like that we're within five to seven years um, of all 50 states enacting some form of recreational marijuana. I would say you will see it rescheduled or decriminalized at the federal level before you will see it enacted as recreational in the Magnolia State. I agree with you, but I think we're pretty close to that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, And um, I pointed out that Republican Representative Nancy Mace, who has admitted that uh, she's been a fairly regular recreational marijuana user, she said that she uses it to, to combat and mitigate pain, not not physical pain, but like depression and stress. Something in her was she like abused as a child or something? I want to say, Rhino, and she. I think she's come out and said that that uh, sort of sort of drove her to uh, to use marijuana as a way to just escape that stress. Nonetheless, she has introduced legislation that would, in fact, as you point out, remove it from the federal schedule one. And I think that would open up the floodgates. I agree with you, because that it, it that fixes a lot of problems about about banking and differences between the states and and um, uh, the uh, ownership of a, a weapon as a firearm. You sort of fix that. That's been something we've talked about a lot on the program. You have very eloquently described what uh, what's involved there. It's you, you fill out the application, and you're asked a question. You have to complete a question, yes or no. I'm using illegal substances, and even though you may be in a medical marijuana program like in Mississippi, if you say yes to that, you're actually committing fraud, right? Well, no. If you say yes to that, you are not going to be able to purchase the firearm. Oh, that's you're true. You're going to fail the background My check. bad. If you say no, If you say no on it, bad. if you lie on a federal form, you've committed federal fraud. Yeah. The problem is it's an infinitesimally small percentage of the people that say no that are committing fraud that actually get prosecuted for it. Yeah. So I I apologize. I just jumped that and reversed it, but you know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. So um but uh, once you've done that, you got your license, you got firearms, and then you go get a certificate, you don't have to go back, right, and fill the form out. Or do you have to do that when you buy a new firearm? If you're yeah, already the purchase on file. of every firearm okay. from a federally licensed dealer, you have to perform a background check. So technically speaking, if you say no, I don't use these illegal substances, you're lying on a federal Correct. form. But the chance Which that has pretty stiff penalties. Yeah. But yeah, the chance of it actually coming to fruition is slim to none. I mean that some federal law enforcement um 
person is going to bust up in your house and say, hey, look, I, I see you got a medical marijuana card and you got a firearm. That just, I don't it's think like there's been any... It's like seatbelt laws used to be before, yeah. before it became a primary issue when it was, I pulled you over for speeding and you're not wearing your seatbelt. It's something they would tack on. It, it wouldn't necessarily be the root cause of an investigation. Yeah. But nonetheless, there's some people that understandably... Are, are concerned about that. And, oh, yeah. You know, and they don't want to lie on a form if they have a medical marijuana card. But taking it off of Schedule 1 fixes that problem, cures that problem. That's the point I'm making. And I, and I think you're right. Um, the state, so 24 have legalized it for recreational purposes. The, uh, there are uh, several states, I would include, as you indicate, Mississippi in that category, that if it, it came off Schedule 1 at the federal level, I think that opened up the floodgates, honestly. I also believe the Democrats will really um, promote that um, in the next election cycle, in the 24 election cycle. I think they're going to they're gonna include that as a plank in their platform. Vote for us, and we're going to take it off Schedule 1 and, and, uh, in an attempt to uh, attract young voters, is what they're saying. Anyhow, their camp is saying at this point. We'll see if that can offset the Bidenomics that folks ain't very happy about, even though he thinks they're loving it, which is crazy. Carol in Starkville says, I went to have my ballot counted in the machine, and the attendant said, you did yours right. You filled in all the dots. What happens if you did not fill in a dot under each category? It is my understanding that it is not necessary to vote in every race on the ballot, that the ballot can still be scanned and accounted for. I recall in the 2020 election, is that um, also when we had Initiative 65? When did, when did that occur on the ballot? Was that 2020? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, yeah. I remember Secretary of State Michael Watson... Yeah, 2020. Okay, informing us that, that uh, there were more votes for that. It was either that or the flag got more votes than the top of the ticket for president, meaning a lot of people left president blank, but still voted on those matters. That the number of ballots cast exceeded on those ballot measures. One of those uh, compared to the race for the presidency. Interesting. Randy in Starkville says Reeves should send the Democrat Governors Association a heartfelt sympathy card on behalf of Republican Mississippians. <laughs> the governor did in his speech last night. He did note that Democrats dumped $13 million into the state of Mississippi in an effort to get Mr. Presley elected. To my knowledge, off the top of my head, Rhino, that's the most money ever spent by a single candidate in a race for public office in the state of Mississippi. I do not think a single candidate has spent that much in our history. That's a bunch of money, 13 million bucks. So I think between he and the governor, north of 20 million, right? About 23 million total spent, 24 million total. 13 million didn't do it for the Democrats. I believe that will be a deterrence in the future. I really do. 
Folks, we're stepping aside for a break. Once again, we're in the Element Well studio coming right back. We've got Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman in right about an hour from now. Stay with us. Balls of fire! Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio. It's the day after election day, so it's totally appropriate to bring on to the program Mississippi's Secretary of State, Secretary of State Michael Watson. Uh, good to see you there, Mr. Secretary. Big day yesterday. Man, it was, and I'm really proud of Mississippi. A uh, phenomenal election, uh, save one county. And they, they obviously had issues that we, I'm sure we'll address at some point in time. But really proud of all of our poll workers, our, our commissioners, and our clerks around the state. They did a phenomenal job. We had zero cybersecurity issues. And uh, 81 of 82 counties did a, a fantastic job. So a uh, big, big shout-out to my team and my, my staff that did a phenomenal job of training up our commissioners and our clerks and advising them throughout the day. So I just want to say a uh, big thanks to them. Did a wonderful job. Yeah, and, and uh, we should point out, uh, I happen to, to know a little bit about this, because my daughter is one of those uh, staff. It was a late <laughs> night. I mean, your team, uh, and they took it like troopers. Your team was working uh, pretty late last night, honestly. They were. And, and let me say this, the folks that have questions about Hines County, we had yeah. observers at every single one of those uh, precincts. And, uh, you know, we were on the ground making sure that the law was being followed. Unfortunately, uh, the, the commissioners and um, the, the team there on Hines County didn't, they weren't prepared. And yeah. there weren't enough ballots around. So uh, a lot of folks have asked questions, and, and that's fine. They can ask the questions, but the statutory duty to make sure you have enough ballots falls on elections commissioners. And so I just want to be clear uh, whose job it was. And I think that's an important part of educating Mississippians to know who to hold accountable. And uh, that's where the buck stops. Yeah, and a great point. Uh, Alex, uh, my daughter, uh, shared with me that of all the precincts she visited, where there were some some of those that had that situation where they ran out of ballots and and uh, uh, voters in line were held up and and noted that she was from your office and asked, hey, what's the problem here? You know, why don't you guys have more ballots? And she very politely, respectfully explained that is not the responsibility of the Secretary of State. It is the responsibility of of the counties. And, yeah, look, uh, <laughs> twenty three. Uh, I think it's twenty three fifteen five. 13, yeah. uh, I believe that's right, says basically that the county should have at a minimum of 60% yeah. of the active voters uh, prepared ballots. So uh, that case should have been about 100,000, I think, roughly in Hines County in those precincts. Uh, so we'll get to the bottom of it with them and ask them what exactly went wrong. And yeah. again, I like to point out 81 of 82 counties yeah. had a phenomenal election day yesterday. Those clerks and commissioners received the same training. Uh, they're on the same phone calls leading up to the election and have the same access uh, to, to advice uh, that we give every other county. So yeah. 
uh, I'm proud of our, our day yesterday. Yeah, and you know, if you think about it, it really, just from a logistical and systems perspective, it wouldn't make sense for your office to produce the ballot uh, a st- for every race in the state, for every county and every precinct in the state. That wouldn't make sense. It makes sense to do that at the county level, for that to be controlled and handled at the county level. And I know, um, as is the case with my polling place, you know, once your address is confirmed, the poll worker then determines which ballot you need. There's some precincts, as you well know, where there are multiple ballots that uh, could be used, that, vo- that voters just happen to be represented differently depending on the race, but they use the same precinct, same polling place. That, that's right. You can have split precincts, and, and some of the questions, look, we were getting calls at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, no reason to run out of ballots that early. Yeah. And one of the issues there is if you've got a split precinct, then the uh, commissioner should recognize that, and you should have enough of a certain type of ballot style for, for both sides of the precinct, if you want to say sides, yeah. uh, that, that you've got that split. And we our understanding was there were certain precincts where there was uh, significantly more uh, number of ballot styles in one side and then the other. Okay. When it should have been conversely, it should have been you know more ballot style for for this yeah. uh, side yeah. of the precinct than that side of the precinct. So there was confusion out there. But again, at the end of the day, the statutory guidelines and duties fall on the election commissioners uh, to make sure that the ballots are properly supplied. Yeah. Okay. So a question that's come up today, Mr. Secretary, on our on the ceasefire text line is: Is a voter required? To, uh, to to mark in the mark sets forms there that the scanners read, are they required to vote in every single race, or can they leave races blank? They are not, and that is called an undervote. Okay. So if voters decide, look, I don't want to vote for this candidate in this race, and it's uh, uncontested, they don't have to mark that circle. Okay. So uh, there, there are questions about... You know, what happens then? Well, there are uh, uh, really it's kind of handled a little bit differently depending on what type of machine each county has. Uh, some of us will ask, do you want, are you sure? And then others will just accept it as an undervote. So depending on the type of machine that they had, uh, a certain manufacturer, it could be handled in different ways. Yeah. But at the end of the day, yes, it, you can vote uh, for whoever you want to. If you want to go vote for one person and leave the rest of your ballot blank, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it would be accepted. Okay, so there's no there's no statute in Mississippi that says, hey, when you vote, you got to vote in every race on your ballot. That's exactly right. Okay, all right. So because I had somebody on the ceasefire tax line said that the machine rejected um, a ballot if the bubble was not colored in on all races at my precinct. That that's reading the text. So I just asked what county. I don't know if that means the machines are not calibrated correctly or if that's just a misunderstanding of what was actually happening. But I did have several others who said, yeah, um, I undervoted. And the machine said, hey, you undervoted. Are you okay with that? Do you want to go ahead and cast your ballot? That's been my experience, what I've seen. That's right. Uh, look, I've, uh, I've got personal experience of undervoting before in, uh, in Jackson County, and the ballot was accepted. So, again, depending on where you were, I had some uh, commissioners pull me aside yesterday in my precinct and said, look, you know, we had some folks that uh, accidentally maybe slightly colored in one bubble, and they didn't mean to, <laughs> so they had to spoil that ballot because yeah. the machines read it very clearly. Right. Uh, so uh, those those things do happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was sharing before you came on the program, you uh, telling me about, the I believe it's the 2020 election, if I'm not mistaken, that um, we had more ballots cast on that particular uh, ballot, the form itself, 
It was either for medical marijuana or the flag. I, I, I kind of lose track of that. Then we did for president statewide. Is that right? Didn't you say something about that? Yeah, I can't remember, Gerard, which issue it was, uh, but that, that that rings a bell in my, my head there. Uh, and, and again, it goes to the point. You can undervote uh, some yeah. races. You don't want to cast a ballot. You don't have to. Yeah. This, uh, this is America, and it's yeah. our right to go out to the polls and vote. So uh, you can't be forced to vote on any issue nor for any candidate if you don't want to. Okay. And, and if somebody encounters that, Mr. Secretary, when they're casting their ballot and they have made the conscious, deliberate decision to, uh, to undervote, to not cast, not vote in a particular race, how should they handle that? Should they report that to the poll workers? What, what should they do? Yeah, I'd encourage them. It's always good to uh, you know build relationships with your poll workers. Sure. You do have questions like that, and uh, at the end of the day, you can you can ask for the poll manager and say, "Look, here's the deal. Um, I want to vote this. I don't want to vote that, and my ballot should be accepted." And if you've got a question about it, call the Secretary of State's office. Yeah, and I'm happy to back them up on that. Okay, all right. Let's talk about Hines County and extending the hours. Sure. Give us a rundown of what happened there. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point, and a lot of folks are going to have questions, and that's okay. Uh, we're here to explain that. Uh, at the end of the day, what we saw was, again, a lack of uh, proper number of ballots in the precincts. Uh, we started hearing about a possible challenge that afternoon. Uh, two lawsuits were filed, one in Chancery Court, one in Circuit Court. Uh, the one in Chancery Court was filed by the Mississippi Democratic Party. Uh, the one in Circuit Court was filed by Mississippi Votes. Uh, if you look at, I can't remember the statute off the top of my head, maybe 23, 15, 9, 13, uh, something in that area, uh, basically says the, the procedure is the Supreme Court will assign judges to hear expeditiously challenges on election day. And uh, Mississippi Votes case followed that statute, and uh, basically that judge said no. Uh, there are a number of precincts where we've seen issues, but not enough to rise to the level of extending the hours. Okay. Uh, the other judge and the chancery court said, yeah, let's open all the precincts until 8 o'clock. Hmm. That was, uh, hmm. And sometimes, look, we see this. We see friendly uh, cases filed and, and, and friendly results come down. Yeah. Um, so uh, as I understand it, the circuit clerk then decided, uh, because of the statute that says how election challenges will be held on election day, followed the orders from the circuit clerk, sure. and uh, the polls were closed at 7. Now, here's the key I want everybody to understand. When there are issues, when uh, hours should be extended at polling places, our office calls the circuit clerk in that county and reminds them that we did this yesterday. Should there be any reason to extend hours, you're only to vote on affidavit ballots hmm. after 7 o'clock. Okay. And that the reason for that is, look, if a judge comes back and it's appealed yeah. and it says, no, you should not have been voted, well, we know which votes to, to throw out, the affidavit ballots that were cast after 7 o'clock. Okay. So, our, our team did a phenomenal job yesterday of reminding the clerks and commissioners across the state, here, if you have this issue, here's how you handle it. Okay. Here's what the law says. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's very clean and clear here. We have no authority to force them to do that. All yep. we can do is tell them, here's what the law says. I got you. You're the one that has to make that decision. I got you. Well, you, you, uh, we appreciate you coming on. And, and you made the great point that we got 82 counties, and 81 of them were, were uh, smooth, and, and one we had some issues. But it sounds like at the end of the day, that all got resolved, and we're good to go. We got ballot elections. Appreciate you and your team, uh, Mr. Secretary. Appreciate you coming on. We'll talk soon. Thanks. You got it, buddy. Take care. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's 
lonely, baby. Well, life was so lonely. I'll be so lonely, I could die. Although it's always crowded, um, you still can find Was that for Mr. Presley there? You played that? <laughs> I mean, that's his cousin and an appropriate song, right? Wow. Uh, we're back with you. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today. We're in the Element Well studio. It's a day after elections. So much to talk about. But one thing we don't have to talk about is a runoff, because we ain't going to have one. Now, a lot of folks predicted that we would, felt like the race was close. And I think you could, I think you could conclude that Miss Gray pulled enough votes off, 1.5%, typically in an, in an extremely close race like this one was, that almost guarantees a runoff. Would you agree? I, mean, I don't know if it guarantees, but it definitely makes the math fishier. Yeah. Or not fishier, just... it. The way elections work with affidavit ballots and absentee ballots and the the need to have a race called by midnight on election day, you you get a little off into the weeds with the math, and when you add that extra variable of a third-party candidate, that math gets really tight. Yeah. I think that's fair enough, but that that's just kind of the way I see it. I just I think about it, and um, it just given how close the race certainly appeared to be, and I, I just think, well... We got 1.4% here, 10,000 votes going to a, a third candidate. That would almost guarantee a runoff, but that's not the case here. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the latest, still showing 96% of the votes in, now indicating 516 for the governor, 47% for challenger Democratic candidate Brandon Presley. So a, uh, what, a 4.6% delta margin between the two. And just doing the math in my head here, it looks like it's 40,000 votes, roughly. 37,000, actually. So 37,000 votes split the two candidates. Now, total cast at this point under 800,000. I thought in the last election we eclipsed 800,000 seems to be the number that comes to mind. And you know why that comes to mind is because of all the discussion we had about the the ballot initiative, the, the signature harvesting requirements to get a measure on the ballot, which I believe is 8%. Is that right? 8% or 12%? Yeah, I think it's 12%, 12% of the ballots cast in the most recent governor's race. So, but right now, but that's with 4% in, uh, pardon me, 96% in, 4% outstanding. So, but even so, I guess that would put us north of, if we if once we get to 100%, that would put us north of 800,000 uh, votes, because we're sitting right now at, at uh, seven, doing the math in my head here, seven seventy nine, roughly. And so, once we get another four percent in, that would uh, 
that would do it. That would put us. Yeah, the 2019 governor's race saw 873,764 Mississippians cast their ballot for either Tate Reeves or Jim Hood. Well, we ain't getting there. Eight, no. You said 873. 873. Yeah, we'll we'll fall, fall well short of that, according to my math here, by roughly 70,000 votes. Wow. That's disappointing, isn't it? Especially when you consider how much money was spent. Because I haven't looked at how much was spent in 19. I, I'm going to hazard a guess it was half of what was spent in this deal. I think the governor spent, what, $7, 8000000 in 19? Something along those lines. And uh, Jim Hood, 7 8 maybe? Something in there. I, I just... It just Kind of recalling all this from memory, I apologize for that, folks, digressing a bit. But I, I find that of interest and, and, again, disappointing that with all that money spent, an incumbent and a, uh, a formidable challenger. You have to say it's a formidable challenger when you look at the margin there, even in a red state by the Democrat, Brandon Presley. I find that intriguing. I did... Um, Receive a text from a friend up in North Mississippi said that Mr. Presley lost his hometown of Nettleton two to one. Is that right? You're shaking your head. You looked at that already. Said he lost his home counties of Lee and Monroe. Yeah, I did see that. But yeah, he lost his home box. Yeah. Well, that's something, isn't it? I don't know I what mean, that means. Didn't Governor Reeves lose his home in 2019? Seems still like that's the one. case, but I think he won it this time. If I'm not mistaken. Well, nonetheless, we got B.B. King, Mississippi's own, bumping us out of uh, this segment for the top of the hour break. It's noon in Mississippi. That means Fox News, Super Talk News is coming your way. And then we'll be back with you at uh, the half hour or so. We'll have Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studio on this hump day. And we got a debate tonight. Just when we're done with a little politics here in the state of Mississippi, we dive right into it on the national level. We got another presidential debate. Those Republican candidates will be on the stage. Only five this time made the debate. Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott, former governor and Ambassador Nikki Haley, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, and uh, former Governor Chris Christie. I'm thinking that's going to be a sleeper. I don't know for sure. I was about to say that, considering I was up here late last night and we've had the election and it's politics, 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 that may be one that I... (laughs) Skip out on watching live and watch a replay early in the morning. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. 
They're going to be on, uh, they're going to face off, I should say, in Miami, the great state of Florida, NBC News covering it. You know, we'll get some interesting questions from the moderators there at NBC News. Uh, Let's see, this will be at the Adrian Arsht Center for Performing Arts of Miami-Dade County. To qualify, you needed to have, for this third debate, at least 4% support in two national polls, or 4% in one national poll, as well as two polls from four of the early voting states, which include Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada and South Carolina. The polls used for qualification must have been approved by the Republican National Committee. Interesting. Have you seen any pictures of the the arena they're going to be doing battle in? I have not. It's a gorgeous auditorium. Interesting. So this is um let's see this what is this deal for this auditorium? Is it um just like a, a City auditorium? Uh, it for looks events? like it would be perfect for the opera or catching a symphony because it's got three different levels. It's not quite as fancy as like a Carnegie Hall. Okay. But it is definitely one of the fancier ones I've seen recently. Well, it's performing art. So I, yeah. I read that in the title. So that makes sense. Um, I didn't know such existed. I can't remember there ever being any sort of national event there. But. I'll probably take one for the team. Tune in. Now, after the program today, I'm headed downtown for the Innovate Mississippi Accelerate Conference. I'm pleased to serve on the board of Innovate Mississippi. This is their big annual event. Uh, Prospective businesses are pitching those who might seek an investment in their business. They'll do their pitches. And they've got some good speakers, lots of networking, lots of companies who have been affiliated in the, in the way of guidance and mentoring and assistance uh, from Innovate Mississippi. They'll also be exhibiting as well in the halls down there at the Westin. So I look forward to that. And then to uh, tonight, I think it's at 530, I'm going to be speaking to the the Madison County Business League and Foundation Madison County Young Professionals graduation. Was honored to speak to that group last year and will be doing so again tonight in Ridgeland in Madison County. Looking forward to that. Tomorrow, busy week. Just I'm thinking through this in my head. Tomorrow we're at two museums for Veterans Day coming up Saturday and then down at Shelby in, in, at Camp Shelby, pardon me, at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, and what a facility that is. It, something that's really bothered me, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but this, um, this rash of pro-Hamas protests across the country, I'm, I'm looking at a, um, it, look, it looks like some sort of hearing on the Hill right now, in our studio on the television. I'm not sure who that is <clears throat> on the other side of the fence there, as they say, in the gallery, uh, speaking, addressing those uh, who have called for the testimony. But behind are folks that are, are clearly pro-Hamas 
individuals, and they've got a piece of tape on their mouth in big block letters, Hamas. Oh, geez. I, I tell you, this, uh, I think this does come back <clears throat> to this just, this just splurt of DEI in this country, how corporate America, the public sector, and in particular higher ed, which is where you find lots of these pro-Hamas demonstrations, all in on the DEI stuff. We, we shared yesterday the enormous staff that Ohio State now has, just mind-boggling, 20-something million dollars a year to pay the salaries of these various DEI roles that are on the payroll there at Ohio State. And it's, it's the same across the college landscape. To a lesser degree, Ohio State's been put in focus because it's just so gigantic the number they have. Now, it's a big university, but you know we read the titles of some of these jobs like, what the heck are they doing? What does that do exactly? And you look at the salaries and it's $220,000 a year for what? Well, I do believe that the, the DEI adoption in the country spurred a lot of this pro-Hamas stuff. I think they're brainwashing. I really do on college campuses. Well, the ultimate irony in all of this is it's really only under capitalism that you can have a job that pays you $200,000 plus and you provide so very little value to the world. So true. But all that, of course, is being covered in your tuition. I mean, isn't that like something you could do to perhaps cut the cost of tuition? Oh, yeah. I know it. when you think about the number of people that attend Ohio State, maybe doesn't amount to a lot. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, the DEI organization. There's plenty of fat and a lot of people that are fat and happy off the tuition being paid. Well, each one of the offices that you have under the umbrella (laughs) of DEI has its own budget for its own programs. That's exactly right. Events and festivities. But... I was impressed with what Ben Sass, former senator Ben Sass, now the president of the University of Florida, said. And I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he made a statement early on after the October 7th attacks waged by Hamas on innocent Israeli civilians. He just said, there's no justification for this. This is just common sense. This is evil. This is wicked. This is wrong. And we denounce it. We condemn it. He didn't hesitate. I applaud him for that. Where a lot of these other schools are, they're trying to uh, walk the old tightrope, as they say. They were slow in responding. And when they did, you read it like, what are they saying? They're not really coming out in a forceful manner and saying, yeah, this is bad. This is wrong. This is evil. We can't accept this. There it is again. Actually, it doesn't have Hamas on it. it the, the letters, I, pardon me, Gaza. That's what they got on their... T- I'm looking at two of them right now. This is on the Capitol Hill. They're holding a hearing on anti-Semitism at colleges. Oh, there's a couple that have it on their hats. Gaza. In big, like, scarfs on the top of their head. Now, I'm not sure, honestly, I don't know, folks, if these, these may be Israelis that are supporting witnesses that are before uh, Congress right now talking about anti-Semitism. You got, I think this goes back, once again, Rhino, to the inability 
to discern between a male and a female? It's like now that's manifested itself in we can't discern what's evil and what's good. I don't see how anybody can look at what Hamas did and say, oh, that's justified. There's no way. No amount of personal or political grievance can justify what they did. None. And it's amazing to me. Um, it, I also was surprised to find out that uh, Jews, those who practice the Jewish faith in our country, only represent about 6% of the population. I didn't know that. And they're mostly concentrated in the Northeast, uh, not so much in the West. But no student, n no citizen, much less a student, but certainly students questing for knowledge, preparing themselves for jobs, to be productive citizens, contribute to society. That's why you, you go to college. It's about developing leaders and preparing people to go to work to add value to society in the societal fabric. They shouldn't have to walk a campus and be fearful simply because they're of their faith. Now, if this were a white-black conflict, the left would be bizarre, apoplectic. You couldn't measure it. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays in the Element Well studio at 12.35. It's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well studio in the next segment, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman will call in and give us his thoughts about yesterday's election. I made the rounds uh, last night. I don't think I got to the house to about 1 o'clock in the morning because I was uh, went to Attorney General Lynn Fitch's event. It's right down the street from my house. And then went to see uh, Mike Cheney, Insurance Commissioner. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman just kind of hopping around and then ended the night at the Sheraton in Flowood. That's where Governor Tate Reeves had his watch party. But they didn't call it till like 11 o'clock last night, right? So that's Well, that was when the AP called it at 11.30 or just okay. a few minutes before that. But there had been several publications, and even here on Super Talk, we pretty much had it called by the end of the election coverage. It was pretty much perfect timing because the, the math bathed its way through to uh, feeling fairly confident in calling it right before the, the final six-minute segment of the three hours of election coverage. Yeah. Great coverage by our team last night. Richard Cross, Henry Barber, uh, Sid Salter, good stuff. Uh, and our news team. They were up here pretty late, I believe. Were they not? So we have to oh, give yeah. them a break. Everybody looks a little little tired. Today. I had an extra cup of coffee this morning, and it's slowly wearing off. <laughs> little weary we are, but we're going to be fine. We'll uh, we'll get a good night's sleep, be back at it again tomorrow. It helps we got that extra hour this weekend. That's true. 
It did. The lecture in, in the tank. <laughs> Uh, on the ceasefire text line, Gerard mentioned the other day about an article he wrote on PERS as he released it yet. So it is in the hands of our news department, um, and uh, they felt like it'd be best to wait until after the election, and I concur. Uh, expecting it to be published sometime today is what I'm told, and uh, we'll certainly be on the lookout for that and probably talk about that a little bit tomorrow once it gets published. I'm starting one now on health care. Some ideas I have to address the health care situation in the great state of Mississippi. I, I, I kind of floated some of those ideas last night at the governor's watch party with uh, the director of the Division of Medicaid, Drew Snyder. Ran some of those by. He, he, um, he seemed to be uh, positive. He responded positively. He thought they were good. Now, these are kind of out-of-the-box sort of things that, you know, take a while to hatch, to conceive, to to structure, to design, of course, to get something done legally in law. But it's just some thoughts, honestly. It's all it is. Just trying to put stuff out there to think about. and It's a little non-traditional, which is what I, I think that's where we are. I honestly, as a state and a nation, to address some of our most critical issues. And that is certainly one of them. Now, was it you that said, or maybe if somebody else that said, Brandon Presley said, even though I didn't get elected, we're going to expand Medicaid. Was it he that said that? Uh, that was Caleb Sailors from Super Talk Mississippi News talking about what that's little what he saw was. of the uh, concession so, speech. That's what it was. I knew <laughs> we had just heard that today. Um, yeah, right. So, Caleb from our news department caught that as part of Mr. Presley's concession speech. I'm not exactly sure what he is talking about uh, with respect to, hey, we're going to get that done no matter what. Now, I've said before, if we restored the ballot initiative process, I do think that there would quickly be an organized effort. And that was already in the works before the Supreme Court struck down our ballot measure process. And I think we'd get a, a measure on the ballot, and I think it would pass. I really do. Um, you know, there are 10 states that have not expanded Medicaid, and the only reason there are 10 states that have not is because a little-known aspect of the Supreme Court ruling back in, I want to say it was 2012, some, sometime, that, that seems to trigger in my head there. 2012. That That's when, you recall, there was a, uh, a class action effort to essentially, um, to, at the Supreme Court, to essentially find that the individual mandate, the mandate that one must have insurance or pay a penalty, essentially forcing Americans to buy something, that something being insurance, or pay a, an economic penalty, the Supreme Court upheld that and said, yeah, that's, that's legal. Uh, it was thought that if the Supreme Court struck it down and found that to be unlawful, they would also essentially invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act. That wasn't the case. However, a lesser-known aspect of the ruling, two things. Uh, one was that states were not required, as per the original law, 
to create their own marketplaces on a state-by-state basis. Now, that the marketplaces are the online tools that those shopping for insurance in the individual market who qualify for federal subsidies, assistance from the federal government to pay their premiums and out-of-pocket costs. The subsidized exchanges is another term you hear to describe that. Originally, the law required all 50 states to create their own, their own independent exchanges. And the reason it was thought to be more efficient at the state levels because insurance is regulated at the state level in all 50 states. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't force the states to do that. And even states that had already invested mightily in creating their exchanges said, okay, we're not going to do that. The federal government says they're going to take care of that. Mississippi's one of those. So that's how you ended up with the healthcare.gov. The other aspect that's little known of the ruling is that the Supreme Court said, hey, federal government, you cannot force, as per the original provisions of the Affordable Care Act, you cannot force states to add the coverage group, known as popularly Medicaid expansion, the coverage group of able-bodied adults, which is not part of traditional Medicaid, in order for a state to continue to participate in traditional Medicaid. The idea originally was all 50 states are going to be required to add this coverage group and the federal government's going to pay for 100% of it for the first five years and then 90% of it after that. It actually phased down 195, 90. It's at 90 now permanently. And the Supreme Court says you can't do that. And that's why then sent the issue to the states to, to decide whether or not they wanted to add that coverage group. Forty have, ten haven't. Now, there there are some that have done it recently, and there are others that are seriously considering it. Of those ten, my guess is in the next year or two, that number will be down to five. A couple of those states that are certainly traditional red states, one is South Dakota. Governor Christie known. A... Republican powerhouse, expanded Medicaid. Oklahoma is another one. That's thought by many to be the reddest state in the country. It did as well. So that's that's just kind of an unknown aspect, or I should say a little-known aspect of of the Supreme Court ruling. All the focus was on the individual mandate. Now, since then, as you guys know, the individual mandate has essentially been have been neutered. That happened in 2017 as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act under Donald Trump. And he, he boasts about that. You don't have to pay a penalty for not having insurance. Some 30 million in the country still are uninsured. Mississippi is uh, in the top two or three in terms of uninsured population as a percentage of uh, total population. Uh, Texas, a big state, of course, did not expand Medicaid also has a large uninsured population, as does Florida, another one. But the PERS article is supposed to be up uh, today. Uh, B.J. in Hasburg says PERS. We know several people who retire around 55 years old and go get a state job just because they know after being there eight years they will be vested. 
Thus, they will have state retirement also. Well, that's true, but they pay into it over that those eight years, B.J. So all, all that all that math is figured in into the actuarial valuations. That's that's really not an, an issue. The bigger issue is is that there's just not enough money coming in uh, on a on a long term basis to cover future benefit obligations. Uh, so you, you either got to cut future benefit obligations or you've got to increase revenues or a combination of the two. And, of course, the, the former is not very popular and, in fact, would likely trigger lawsuits. So I don't see that happening, honestly. I just don't see any cutting of benefits for those in the program receiving benefits now or in the program as an active member that are approaching retirement paying into the program. I don't see either of those as a viable option, honestly. But it's time for a break here on uh, Middays. Once again, we're in the Element Well studio, and when we return, it's Mississippi's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Stay with us. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. You are tuned in to Middays. We appreciate it. We are in the Element Wealth Studio today, and we welcome to the program now the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman. Good to see you there, Lieutenant Governor. Thank you, George. It's a good day in Mississippi. A great day. Pretty day coming up. Yeah. The season's starting, and uh, most of the farmers I've been running through the Delta, most of the farmers are having good crop years. Diesel's too expensive, and their inputs are expensive, but they had good crops, so they're having a, it's a pretty good time of the year. What are they telling you about the drought? It affects... Now, so many of our farmers are irrigating, yeah. so it's only affecting the non-irrigating land, which is significant, but still, um, most of many of them, I was talking to one in Rolling Fork yesterday, is most of them have irrigated land and some dry, what's called dry land. The dry land obviously had... Uh, had had less than the normal uh, soybean production, but but other than that, most of our irrigated stuff it just cost a little bit more money to put water on them, and that's where the diesel cost comes in. Yeah, I was over in Smith County a couple of months ago. It was um, late August, and they were talking about having to put the hay out a little early, and they're a little concerned about their supply of that uh, for the cattle. They're already. I talked to one of our, our cattle farmers. I guess in the last twenty four forty eight hours, he's already hauling hay in. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 everything's dry, and there's there's nothing for the as my children refer to it, the moo cows. There's nothing <laughs> for the cows to eat, and they're so they're already hauling hay in right now. And yeah. unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to break. Uh, we may get some rain here this Friday, but yeah. I don't think that's going to cure where we are. Yeah, agree. I know the river is low as well, but uh, that's the hand that's been dealt us, and, and we'll work through it. So good to see you last night. You had a great event, and uh, I know you did some interviewing with uh, the media that was on hand as well. Got to be a relief. This thing's uh, over. I know your your primary was quite uh, contentious, and you were able uh, to prevail there and, and advance to the general, but uh, really 
uh, handled that with ease? Oh, we were we were real pleased. Uh, you know, I, I forget sixty one or sixty two percent of the vote and a huge vote to count. You know, over four hundred thousand people uh, honored us with their vote yesterday, and uh, I was real pleased with that. And um, I think really. Jar, to be honest about it, this is a validation of really what the legislature has been doing. If you really want to look at it, I, uh, you know, I don't vote in the. I name the committees and allocate the bills, but I've never had to vote in the last four years on a matter. I only vote unless there's a tie. Yeah. So the member, the Senate members took on everything uh, from education to flags, from uh, infrastructure to tax cuts. Uh, you, you just look down the laundry list and. For that, uh, I believe just about all but one senator returned that wanted to return. Hmm. Uh, the people just looked at, uh, and I can't speak for the House, I'm not sure about the numbers, but I assume they're similar. But on the Senate side, our, our men and women just took on every every issue and reached some kind of conclusion. And um, we're, we're our financial condition is good, and we've, we've got a rainy day fund full, and uh, we're doing new projects on roads, and people are just satisfied with um, what's been going on. And I, I, I think my my numbers really reflect more what my Senate did than they do me. One thing that Rhino and I were looking at uh, in the last segment, Lieutenant Governor, was uh, based on the numbers today, 96% uh, total aggregate ballots accounted for, uh, according to the AP, that once we get to 100 percent, we're going to fall about 70,000 ballots short of the total number cast in 2019. What do you think about that? I worried about that. A lot of the last week of the campaign, I started talking about the fact that uh, the Mississippi National Guard had invited me for the third time to go back to Germany and Kuwait about six or eight weeks ago, and I did that. And I had been over there with them in 2008 in Afghanistan and Iraq and Kuwait, and I went back in 18, and then I went back six weeks ago. And I talked about how we have thousands, literally, of Mississippians that are um, somewhere between Egypt and Turkey and in harm's way every day and how important it was they were defending our freedoms and we needed to go cast a ballot. And I was disappointed. Um, you know, I, I, I would I thought that we should have exceeded eight hundred thousand votes. Uh, we're just coming close to that, but I don't yeah. think we are going to exceed that. And um, to me, um, there's it, it one or two or three things maybe going on. One, everything's going so good that people aren't mad enough or, <laughs> to go vote. No, they're all satisfied, and that, and their guy's going to win, or their girl's going to get reelected, lady's going to get reelected. So they're really uh, they're satisfied. So they're not fired up to go cast a ballot. Uh, the other is just uh, in many cases a uh, uh, general malaise about the election system. Uh, some of that is national uh, when you see what's going on with our president, our former president, and uh, just the bitter fights in Congress. And people are mad. They're mad we don't have a border anymore. Uh, I mean, you just go down the line. Yeah. And so they're mad. And so with that, I think that taints sometimes, even though we don't have anything to do with that, um, it taints us sometimes. And it taints the whole political environment sometimes when people don't think that their country is being managed in in one direction or the other, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that it's just, uh, 
you know, weeks and weeks without a speaker. Uh, everything is exceptionally partisan. Um, and, you know, we got uh, the current president being investigated, the former president uh, being charged with one thing or another, and people just and we got people coming across the border like there's nothing there but the small river. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I, I think people uh, are disenchanted with yeah. the political atmosphere. So yeah. Well, seems like it. I, I just checked again just to make sure we got the math right for our audience. It looks like, based on the present vote count and the percent of votes that uh, the AP says have uh, been accounted for, it looks like we'll land at about 820,000, and that'd be some 50,000 short of the last cycle. But that's still significant, 50,000 is. It um, is significant, and, that, and uh, you know, that's about 5 or 6 percent. Yep. decrease in in population and i think it's for two reasons one that people are satisfied uh, that we're addressing education and the things that uh, roads and bridges and, and jobs that we're addressing mm-hmm. the things they have uh, concerns about and the second is the fact that uh, every time they turn on the, the tv if they're watching cnn they're impeaching one guy <laughs> and if they're watching fox they're impeaching another guy That's so, right. so there's really no relief uh from Whatever's going on in Washington. Let's pivot to uh, the the coming session in the coming term. I, I've uh, seen you speak uh, multiple times, and and you have have stated that a high priority is to make community college tuition free in the state of Mississippi. Uh, help us out. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I had been studying that a year before, but we did a large tax cut, as you remember. We're, I think we're about the fifth lowest tax state now that t- charges taxes. So we did the large tax cut, and I, I couldn't get to it this last year. But it had been in my planning to go forward with the last dollar tuition. So that means uh, a young man or woman that wants, that's coming out of school um, will be able to get their Pell Grant or whatever grants they've got coming. And whatever the gap is, the state will pay. And uh, those project out to be between 25 and $30 million a year to cover that last dollar tuition part. And many of our, about five, I think, of our community colleges are, are there already, or where they're allowing somewhat close to tuition-free. And so this will allow them to pay books and maybe some other things, or maybe some infant care uh, for uh, single moms or dads that, that, that want to go back to school. So there, there's a whole lot of uh, possibilities here to expand that. When I looked at Tennessee, Gerard, they, they had about a 40% increase in their community college hmm. participation. I don't know that we'll hit that here in our state because we've got such good community college systems now and people are taking dual credits uh, to go to college anyway. But this is part of my overall plan. We, we, we've covered public pre-K. We've got about 6,000 children in public pre-K now, uh, which, you know, if you want to go to parochial or Head Start, all that's fine, but I, I wanted to make sure everybody had a chance to get started in pre-K. Yeah. You see what, what Governor Bryan and Tate Reese and others did with the third grade reading date. You can look how, how far we've come with the scores to be, you know, 31st and 23rd in, in the country versus 50th. And now the next logical step was to get career coaches. Now, we did that two years ago. And now this year we had 80, then we went to 140. Now we'll have 200 career coaches in every school in Mississippi, hopefully. Yeah. Those are paid for by the state, not the school district. And they sit down with every junior and senior and map their their economic future. You know, I want to be uh, a welder, and this is all right. This is what you need to do. And if you go one more year to uh, Jones County uh, Community College, you can get your certificate, and you'll make you know seventy five thousand dollars a year or eighty, whatever the number is. 
good to have so, a plan, and that's what they need. Is. Yeah. And every one of these career coaches, I had five of them up in New Albany give a talk uh, that I was at, and I mean, two of them started crying. Wow. They become like that's awesome. Uh, older uncles or aunts or something with these yeah. children. And then the next step is to allow them to go tuition-free. So gotcha. we'll cover the gamut from pre-K all the way to two years of community college, and we're going to have people with a better economic future, and we're going to have a better uh, workforce development. we got to go. We appreciate you joining us, Lieutenant Governor. I know we'll be talking some more about all that. Thanks a lot, sir. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Have a great day. You too, man. We're coming right back, folks. Final. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. You see that sometimes in the stadiums, don't you? <laughs> Toward the end of the game. <laughs> I got to tell you, when. Usually to a chorus of keys. <laughs> that's right. When I was at Ole Miss, we were doing that for our own coach <laughs> back in the Steve Sloan era uh, when Vanderbilt came to town. I think it was Vanderbilt on homecoming. I remember sitting in the stadium as a student, and they just waxed us. <laughs> All over the field. And the students put the keys up, and it was directed at Coach Sloan back then. Oh, man. He was quite the golfer. Do you know that? He was like a scratch golfer. He used to run into him out at the university course. He'd be playing with uh, Coach Johnny Vault, legendary Coach Johnny Vault, who was also quite the golfer, even um, in his older ages. On the ceasefire text line, our good friend Vince Mangold, a member of the House of Representatives, from down there in southwest Mississippi, says, we're hauling two loads of hay from north Mississippi right now. I believe Representative Mangold is a farmer and needs that hay. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, too, Vince, is that um, because of the drought, they're having to go get the, uh, the supply of hay a little premature to keep the cattle fed. And uh, so it's just been brutal. You know, I, I noticed around my house, uh, met with my landscape guy yesterday, Lost a lot of vegetation. I mean, just despite having an irrigation system, the brutal heat for such an extended period of time, and then you couple that with the lack of water, I mean, it's just so much you can do with a sprinkler. And then you had that cold snap right in the middle. That's exactly right. So it's um, so you had stressed out plants that look, were already dehydrated and struggling, and then all of a sudden Mother Nature goes, oh, yeah, here's some freezing temps for a couple hours. I remember that. And you've seen um, the beetles have infested the stressed pine trees all over the place. They're just uh, lining the roads. You see pine trees totally brown, checked out, really something. Noble Custom Woodwork says... Um, actually, is this Chris and Biloxi? Okay, we may have it wrong in our system. Some uninsured here don't sign up for free Obamacare because they don't believe their fellow citizens should have to pay for them to have health insurance. Right is right, even when you're poor. Well, that's that's interesting. Uh, that's noble. So does that mean when they, when they, if they have a situation and they go to the doctor for medical care, that they'll just pay for it out of pocket? I mean, serious question, Chris. I, I respect those who refuse to take that, but... What if they go to the hospital and they're suffering from some sort of uh, emergency situation? It's something that, that we've talked about before, Rhino. You show up, you're having a stroke, 
the bill before you get out of there may be 50, 75 grand. Just open heart surgery is 100. I mean, there's any number of other things that could happen that run the tab up. You don't have insurance, you're going to pay for that out of pocket. I would say that the person who is eligible for subsidies in the marketplaces that chooses not to subscribe because they, they feel principled and don't want the government, others, paying for it, probably couldn't afford a $100,000 bill out of the, the ER or just for open-heart surgery, even if it's not an emergency. That's just one example of the gazillions of different treatments that uh, you might need to live. But I, I get it. It's, a, it's an issue. Uh, let's see. There was something else. Miss Donnie and Brandon says, Gerard, please consider running for governor in the next four years. You'd be ideal in that role. Well, I appreciate the thought there, Miss Donnie. You never know what the good Lord has in store for you. Just have to pray about that and, and uh, keep on plugging. Um, someone did ask William and Brandon, uh, let's see, on PERS, I need to plead ignorance on this, but do you all know what percentage of time, if any, that military service has when it comes to PERS? It's up to four years. That includes federal, military, and not just state, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. It's uh, There's a, a document that um, describes the rules that's, that is published on uh, PERS website, Chapter 49, Conditions for Existing Military Service at No Cost to Qualified Military Service Due to Interruption of Employment, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes through all the details of how that's ca- calculated. But what I found, it appears that up to four years of service credit into PERS. So, uh, Let's see. Thank you, Gerard. I downloaded Journey on my Apple Music, and I forgot how much I love them in that era. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it also says, I'll second that. I think that's on the prospect of me throwing the old hat in the ring. Uh, heat effects no matter if you can water or not. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the water may keep the plant hydrated, but it, that still doesn't necessarily um, protect it from brutal heat. There's uh, We just don't have... Uh, or should say, we have some plants that simply cannot survive. I have pittosporums in my yard, and the cold got them. They're marginal, this high north. But I had some other stuff. Um, had a maple tree that um, was a couple years old, and it just it checked out. You know, so because of the heat, because of the heat, it just stressed out and, and didn't make it. But so it, no chance of Gerard's maple syrup. What's that? So you're not going to make oh, any maple no, syrup? no, from the maple tree? I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, we appreciate you uh, so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed it sincerely. Again, we're going to be at two museums downtown Jackson tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.